0: Hey. can you hear me okay out there? Loud and clear? All right. God bless you. Good to see you this evening. So happy you're here with us together so we get to open God's holy word. Such, such a blessing. Please open your Bibles to 1 Kings. Uh, we've come as far as chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. anyone needs a bible raise your hand and one of the ushers or elders will bring you a bible so you can follow along it's really important that you get to go line by line with us you get to see it with your own eyes there if the lord allows that and follow along and let it do that work in your heart you know it's really important you know as we begin here this evening um, you know, I'd be remiss not to ask you to please pray again for tomorrow. We have that meeting at 6.30 with the uh, Planning Commission. Um, so God's going to go before us. I believe that. He always goes before us, doesn't he? He's faithful. The Lord is faithful. And he was faithful with Elijah here, too. We're going to go through a very uh, sobering chapter tonight. It's a chapter where every one of us is reminded there are times in our lives that we... Uh, we can have crises with the Lord. We can be walking with the Lord to see the most amazing, monumental movings of the Holy Spirit, whether you've been saved one day or 50 years. And there comes this point in your life where you begin to kind of, you, know, you just follow, you follow, you follow, and then all of a sudden something happens and it, Just, you didn't see it coming. And I think at that point you begin to understand and know what your faith is really built upon. Is it built upon self and when everything's going right and circumstances are going well? Or is it a true heartfelt conviction of lordship? And that's what's going to happen to Elijah here. It, it It's heavy, and I hope all of us take this to heart because this is a great prescription from the Lord on how we're to handle those moments in life where things don't go according to plan. They just, you know, we have plans, we have ideas, don't we? We do. And then sometimes things just go off, and Lord, what happened? <laughs> you know, I was just talking with someone last night or... Yesterday, we were talking about movies. You know, sometimes you go to movies, you see trailers before you go to see that movie. It's that instantaneous clip. And it's about 30 seconds, right? Maybe a minute. And it's what entices you to go to that movie because, oh, well, this is great. Now, I don't want to raise in hands in here, but how many times have you saw a trailer that you thought was going to be dynamite and you spent 10 bucks, or I don't even know how much it is now, $13, 14 it keeps going up. And you go there, that's per person, right? You go there and you sit down and you get in and about halfway into it, you're like, what is this about? This is a bait and switch. This has nothing to do with what I thought I was coming here to see. You know, I often think that's exactly what's happening in our lives. God's right in the movie. He's got the play script, the plan. And we're written in. Praise God. We're written in. But that idea of what's going to happen. God's the only one that sees the whole movie. And yet we form such strong opinions based on that 60 second clip. And we think somehow what's wrong God? Did you fail me? Oh no. God never fails us. Sometimes he's so faithful through prayer not to give us what we even pray. And I'm so thankful for that often. So as we look here, where we're at in this passage, if you weren't with us last week, is Elijah had just seen this awesome moving by the Holy Spirit. He called down fire. Not only did it consume the sacrifice on Mount Carmel, it consumed the stones. Have you ever seen fire so hot that it could literally turn stones into powder like that? I have to be honest, I haven't seen that before, just instantaneously. And the idea here in the Greek could be, or in the Hebrew, I mean, could be lightning as well. that that idea of what hit. But it was so miraculous that Elijah at this point in his walk as a prophet, again, he just arrives and sort of dropped in there. He's convinced that this is certainly going to be what it takes for them to no longer compromise with Baal or Baal worship and the one true living God, the Lord, Jehovah that way, Yahweh. He's so sure of it. He knows that the famine's going to end now as well. And we read that last week in verses 41 through 45 of uh, 46, excuse me, of verse or chapter 18. And he went and he told Ahab, hey, the drought's over. Go ahead and go and get a bite to eat. I'm going to go pray. And then he went out and said to the servant at that point, he says, go out and look and look in the sky. I know the rain's going to come. And the first time he goes, I, he says, nothing he goes seven times. I mean, here it is. God just did this amazing miracle in your life. In your life. Your Mount Carmel. And it's the next day. It's the next week. It's the next month or next year. And you're crying out to God and you're saying, Lord, I know what you can do. I know your power. I know your majesty. I know your sovereign." And you continue to pray because you know the Lord has it before you. It's that persistent prayer. And you get this little glimpse of a cloud. And that's all you need. And he said to Elijah, you go back. And he he said, that's it. You know, that, that little glimpse of a cloud was everything to him. Because he knew the rain was coming. He knew the rain was coming. And then, again, miraculously, he takes his robe. He tucks it into his loincloth that way, and he begins to book, right? Run, sorry for you, anyone born after 1975. Begins to run very fast, okay? And, you know, he actually beats Ahab back to the entrance of Jezreel. Again, another supernatural thing. Think about that, a chariot, horse, ox, something, pulling Ahab. He had already got kind of a head start. God's up there, and he just literally runs to get there first. Why? Because he's going to witness this firsthand. He's going to see it. He's going to understand it. And then look how he's going to respond. And so many times we've come to this passage. Maybe you've heard chapter 19 taught several times. Maybe, you know, sat under it, devotionally studied it. Why do you think Elijah runs away? I want to ask you that tonight. Do you actually think it's because he's afraid? I'm going to challenge you with that tonight. This man is not afraid. I know that's going to be hard because if you read it in the page, it almost leaps off the page. He's running out of fear. But the scriptures are so faithful to give us those details to remind us it's not death Elijah fears. It's a, God's, it's a God crisis. What happens when God goes in a different direction than your plan? How do you react to that? what do we do? Father, we come before you. We thank you for your holy word. We thank you that you've anointed it. Thank you that you've preserved this account. I dare not use the word story. I use the word account, Lord, that you've kept it for us here this evening, that we may feast on this. We dig in and Lord, I believe you'll dig into our heart. You'll reveal the things that Lord, need to be settled. We pray for that strength, that faith, Lord. Lord, may we learn from Elijah. May we see what it looks like, Lord, to know that you will never leave us nor forsake us, as you said countless times in your holy word. Lord, let us settle that this evening in our hearts, no matter what our circumstances are. Jesus, we believe you never change. You are the ancient of days. So we pray and we ask you to go before us. Allow us to have those eyes to see and ears to hear what your spirit wants to say. In your holy name, Jesus Christ and all God's people prayed. Amen. Amen. If you look at chapter 19, verse 1 with me tonight. And Ahab told Jezebel all... You can circle that in your scripture, all that Elijah had done. Also, how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. (laughs) You might remember Jezebel is Ahab's pagan wife and the poster child for Baal worship, for Baal worship. She's the one through the marriage to Ahab, an ungodly marriage, an unevenly yoked marriage, brings in her idol to that marriage and that idol is Baal worship so that Ahab begins to practice this Baal worship himself and so does much of the nation of Israel and God is a very jealous God he's not going to share his sovereignty with anyone and so Ahab comes down he says honey you're not going to believe this what i saw on mount carmel literally all of the the baal you know worship the the People, they got together, they literally took the water, they poured everything out, put a trough around it, a circle like that, so that all the extra water could run over it, soaked it, so that nobody could turn around and question whether Elijah was cooking the books or, you know, trying to have a leg up. As a matter of fact, honey, he turned around and he let us go first. I wonder what she thought of that being that she introduced this pagan god to this nation, and she's being exposed. That's what's happening here. She's being exposed. She knows it, and look how she's going to respond. She turns around, and first of all, she's upset because Elijah went, and he executed all the prophets of Baal. He killed them with the sword. So she said, then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah. She knew where to find him. Saying, so let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as a life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. One of the lives of, of obviously those dead Baal prophets that way. She says, you're a dead man walking. That's what she says. You're a dead man walking. I mean, she has a lot at stake, doesn't she? Her reputation, you know, uh, she's the queen here to the King Ahab that way. I mean, she's the head of Baal worship in, in some aspects. She's, you know, it's public humiliation what just happened. I mean, how are they going to sell the stuff to animal Baals, you know, and all the little posters that they got around? How are they going to turn around? I mean, what are they going to put on the TV? How are they going to explain this to Elmo next, you know, the next day when Baal's not on Elmo worship, you know? Some of you are like, What? How, because this was on the public stage, how is she going to cover this up? She can't. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba. This is about 90 miles away. It's, it's actually right out of the entire North Kingdom. She doesn't just, she goes right out of the North Kingdom. She, he, excuse me, I meant to say, is going right out of the North Kingdom, which belongs to Judah and left his servant there. He just cuts. Now, I, I asked you in the beginning, how many of you, when you read this verse, he, she's threatening his life. You're, gonna, you're a dead man walking. The natural reaction after reading that passage where he says, what? And he gets up and he flees and he runs. Anybody in their right mind, if you just read this passage alone, would come to the conclusion that he's running out of fear of his own life. You with me? you would come to this conclusion naturally in reading this passage up to this point. But wait, there's more. God has given us more. I mean, the one person who just saw all the power of God manifested, gave him victory over Baal, turned around, eliminated, killed all the prophets that way. Now he's running for his life? Let's look at verse four. I wonder what's causing uh, this trial of faith for Elijah, if that that would be true, of course. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. Remember, it's about, hmm, at this point, three and a half years later. Not from original, but I mean three and a half years from he arriving on the scene. He knows this area. He's been in this area. And he came and he sat under under a broom tree. That's a shrub. It's a, a shrub that can grow up to about 12 feet tall. And he prayed that he might die. Underline that in your Bibles, please. Is this a man that's afraid of death, that he would pray to the one true God, take me? How can that be? If he's afraid to die, then why is he asking God to kill him? That seems to be a conflict to me here. Kill me. Take me. And said, it is enough. What's enough? That's important. What's enough? Three and a half years in his ministry, it's enough. He arrives on the scene, stands in the gap for the Lord, represents as God's mouthpiece a prophet speaking on behalf of the Lord. Casting down this Baal worship, this false pagan worship. He's done everything right. He's been obedient. He's been faithful. You can't look at his character and say, you're missing it. You, you haven't done this. You didn't do this. No, no, no. Eliza, checkbox, checkbox, checkbox. He even calls upon God. God, bring fire or lightning. God brings fire and lightning. Lord, the famine's over. The point has been made. You're the one true God. This imaginary God of, you know, Baal is nothing. You proved it because you even used what his supposed deity was of nature and you just destroyed it all. Then why is it enough? What's this crisis moment, this trial of faith? What, what, what is enough? Now, the Lord, take my life for I'm no better than my fathers. What? Huh. You know what he wants to do here? He wants to quit. Right? He's he's discouraged. Why is he discouraged? I I think this is going to explain everything to us here. He's praying that God would kill him. He says, I'm no more useful than the prophets who've gone before me. What's the real rub that Elijah's having at this moment? He did everything right. He spoke the word of God. He bore the truth. He left all. Why didn't the people turn to the one true God? Why didn't the people stop this Baal worship? They saw that Baal was a a figment of imagination. Why are they continuing in this false worship when they know it's not true? And God, I've done everything. I've done everything you've commanded. I've I've read the word. I've, I've shown them these things. Why? Again, I don't want to raise a hand here, but how many of you have felt that way in your life at one time or another? God has shown you something. He's given you a word from Scripture. You began to follow that word. You you did the things right. You, you, You spoke boldly as a mouthpiece for the Lord, a vessel. And yet, somebody looked back at you and said, I mean, they declared it already that they knew that Jehovah was God. But they said, you know, I'm I'm just going to keep on keeping on. There's going to be no repentance here. There's going to be no change of heart here. Do you know what that does to a man or a woman? Of course you do because you've been that man or woman. How that just literally rips your heart out because you love them. He loved the nation of Israel. He loved these people. And to watch them continue in this pagan worship, it was more than he could handle. He was so discouraged, so discouraged that he just wants to die because he was faithful. And you know what they did? The same thing they did to the prophets, the fathers, his fathers before him. They did the same thing. They want to go back to Egypt, back to the world. They want to go back to their worship of a calf. They want to go back, you know, to the capital and start turning around and instituting the religious system again. And for what do we as the believer to do? I mean, is it wrong to be discouraged when you step out in faith and you, you proclaim or herald the word of God and whether it's to a loved one, or friends, or a community, or what have you, and they just, nothing. Did your life make a difference? Did you make a difference? You see, that's what Elijah's wrestling with right now. What's it all for? I did all these things anyway, I did all the right things, and they still didn't respond. They didn't do anything different based on, a miracle like no other miracle they'd ever seen. Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. At this point, Elijah doesn't want to eat. I mean, really, he's not even worried. He's just going to sleep under the broom tree. It's done. It's done. If touches another morsel of food, another drink, he doesn't care. He's so discouraged at this point, he's done. He's done. I've done everything right. What, what, you know, so much so that the Lord sends an angel to actually care and provide for him, to feed him. The point is, is, it wasn't a different outcome. And that's what Elijah was expecting. Don't we have those same expectations when we give the gospel? That there's going to be this amazing, immediate transformation in someone's life that very moment. It's complicated. You see, it's not going according to my, or let's keep grounded in scripture here, Elijah's plan. Jezebel, she just should have quit. She should have just acknowledged hey, your God is the one true God. My God was defeated. That didn't happen. And right before he went to sleep, what did he pray? Lord, take my life. Aren't you glad and thankful for the prayers that God doesn't answer in our lives? He didn't take Elijah home because he's not done with him yet. Even though Elijah can't see it, he's so focused on the trailer, he can't see the movie. He can't see the plan. He's so focused on his part, and he wants to be faithful in that. But he also has corrupted his thinking to think that it's going to all just go this way. Why would God allow this to happen? Right? So he sleeps under this tree and angel wakes him up and says, hey, arise and eat. Then he looked and there by his head was a cake baked uh, on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and laid down again. He says, thanks for the meal. I'm ready. You know? How many of you saw Sanford and Son, remember? I'm coming, you know, that's all I I got running. I got the movie running right now in the head, you know. I'm coming. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time. Isn't that God gracious? Do you see how gracious God is? And he touched him. And he said, arise and eat, because the journey's too great for you. He knew, God knew. So he rose and ate and drank and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Harab. Do you know how far that is? That's a hundred miles. That's amazing food, man. That's some kind of cake, right? You want that cake, don't you? You can eat that cake in the morning. That's the best diet plan going. It's a 40-day diet plan. You take that cake, you go for 40 days, you can go hundred miles, you got food in the tank. No, what is this a picture of? The supernatural moving of God. The the fact that he was providing. We've seen this before. He did that with Moses. He's done that with others. Provided for them, sustained them. Well, here he is. He he goes 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and he spent the night in this place, in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to them, what are you doing here, Elisha? Now, Elijah's going to answer that. So he said, I have been very, whoa, what? No, no, no. Elijah's asking, what's Elijah doing? He's answering the wrong question. What do you mean? Please underline that in your Bible. Not why are you here, Elijah. He says, what? Two different things. What is the difference? Well, what has to do with identity, fact, definition. Description, why, has to do more with an explanation, reasoning, purpose, cause and effect. God asked him, what? What is the facts of the situation, Elijah? Because if you go back, just the facts, ma'am, if you go back to the facts, he might figure it out. It's God's plan. but Elijah can't get outside himself. He's answering the question of why. He's coming back and saying the cause and effect. I did this. You're supposed to do this. That's a why. And God says, no, I'm not asking you about the why. I'm asking you the what. Look what Elijah responds in verse 10 because he says why. He's answering the why. So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord. He's answering the why, right? God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. He, He believes this. If you remember back in chapter 18, verse 22, he said the same thing over in verse 20. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left, the prophet of the Lord. We're going to find out he's not alone. He's not the only one left. But again, that trailer can lead you to a false understanding or assumption. Because that's Elijah's plan. It's about time we get on God's plan. You see, every one of us has got a plan, don't we? But are we on God's plan? Are we on God's time? Are we here for God's purpose? He's he's upset with God here. God, you're not helping me. I'm trying to tell you what to do, and you're not listening. You ever try to micromanage the Lord? Don't a single one of you deny it in here. Don't be a bunch of heathens. All of us have done that. We've all done that. God said what, we said why. You notice what he's upset with here? He did it right. He says, I'm the only one left. I've done everything right. What's going on? Why are they not repenting? Why are they not? God's so good. He's so patient and long-suffering with us. We didn't, Elijah's not getting it the first time. So what's he do? Then he said, what? He's going to go and he, he's going to go. He says, stand on the mountain before the Lord. So now he's going to turn around. And he says, you know what? He says, I want you to go out there and you stand on that mountain before the Lord. And well. Bo- Behold, the Lord passed by and a great strong wind tore into the mountains. Is that a shock for Elijah? No, because Elijah just saw one chapter ago him turn around and call lightning or fire down and literally take stones and put them into powder. That's got to be the way God moves. It has to be in the extraordinary things in our lives. It's the only way he must move, right? Right? I mean, he did it there. He must do it that way today in our lives, in our situations and circumstances. God, are you not hearing me? God, are you there? I don't see you moving. You didn't turn around and, well, I think of the apostles. Lord, do you want me to call fire down on this situation over here? You know, Jesus said, you know, did you not, were you not on the Mount of Transfiguration and you saw Elijah there? Were you, did you not connect these dots? And behold, the Lord's passed by and a great strong wind tore in the mountains. Again, what an example of power and force. And he broke the rocks into pieces before the Lord. Can you imagine standing there? God comes through the first time, right? As he's passing by and you know, he's on this mountain, this great strong wind, it tears into the mountain. It breaks these rocks into pieces. I mean, he's trying to, I, holding on, or what is he doing, because as he's going by that way? No man's ever seen a, the face of God and lived, so we know he's going behind him that way. And it's, you know, it's powerful. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And now he gets a little closer to home. He's connecting the dots for Elijah, because maybe Elijah's still not getting it. You know, he's he's on the the mountaintop there. He's You know, the rocks are breaking into pieces. What's that a demonstration of Elijah? My power. But I'm not in that. Then this heavy wind comes by. What's that a demonstration? I control nature. I control everything, Elijah. But I'm not in this either. You're looking for me in these places. You want me to turn around because of the Mount Carmel experience. But I'm not in those things. I can do it. I can demonstrate my power. But that's not the only way I speak to my children. And that's not the predominant way that I speak to my children. How many people have become so emotionalized today? That lathering up, trying to lather the Holy Spirit. They become so emotionalized. They need that emotional charge, or God's not in their presence there's not pixie dust falling from the sky or angel dust, then, you know, God's not here. Where's that in the Bible? As a matter of fact, my Bible tells me it's contrary to that. He's not in that. Oh, certainly he can do that if he's going to draw someone to himself or he wants to serve a purpose in that. But that's not the predominant way that he interacts in humanity, with humanity. As a matter of fact, when he sent his only begotten son, how many people looked upon him and said, this man, comely, this is the man you send? The God man? Expecting to look at his features? Maybe they thought he'd be like a Samson. The perfect Messiah. And then he hits it home here in verse 12, so Elijah can't miss it at this point. He says, and after the earthquake, a fire. Isn't that the last thing that God had done, supernatural, that Elijah had connected to God's presence? Wasn't it that fire on Mount Carmel, other than the cloud and the rain, which was coming? But when you look at the, you know, the whole thing and the four hundred or however many of the prophets that were exiting, that that Elijah understood that. Elijah, Elijah, that stands the test of faith for Elijah, and Elijah expects because someone would see something so supernatural, so obvious, that everybody must certainly do what? Just believe. I mean, after all, isn't that reasonable? I think it's reasonable. If that happened uh, right now, if, if the Lord turned around and, you know, right through... Of course, not where people sitting, but separated half of the building and the other half of the building. I think all of us would be like pretty much in awe, right? I don't think anybody would go, huh, I've seen better. I don't think anybody would say that right now, right? I wouldn't be saying that. I'd be like, wow, okay, Lord. What are you going to do with that? What's the purpose of that? Not what is my purpose in that. Not how am I going to take that and then use that for some gain. The fire, he connects the dots for him, so he can't miss it. He, he starts here, brings him, brings him, brings Gentle, the Lord is gentle, gracious, love. But the Lord is not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. It's in the precious things. It's in the quiet times. The primary way Jesus Christ speaks to us today is through his word. That still Small voice. If you're looking for him in the the wind and the earthquake and all these other things, you missed it. He lives in you, he dwells with you, and he loves you. He's given you what you have on your laps today his word. You've got the entire counsel of God right on your lap. 66 love letters. Describe his love for you and I. His plan for redemption. And his plan to take us home. His plan. His plan. His plan. His interactions with humanity. His children. His creation. God was in the still small voice. Not every moment is going to be a Mount Carmel moment, friends. Friends. Don't despise the small things. Don't despise the day of small things. And never despise the still small voice of God. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, What? Skin, what? Not Why? What are you doing here, Elijah? Same deal, right? Rinse and repeat. You didn't get it the first time. We're going to try this again. I am so thankful the Lord does this because I generally don't get it on the first time. I don't know about you, but I, I'm telling you, I'm like a 7-10 timer, timer guy, you know? I mean, I wish I got it on the first time. It takes me about seven trips around. And he's gracious to meet me each time there. It's not his design. It's not his desire. Doesn't want me to, you know, have that exodus experience where I was literally eight miles or eight day journey to the promised land that took 40 years. He's not looking, <laughs> he's not looking to uh, have us go through that. But boy, oh boy, he'll, he'll allow us to go. You, want it, you got the energy? Go ahead now. Get it out. And when you're ready to listen, come on home. When you're ready to listen, come on home. Come on back. You ready for the plan? I'll give you the plan. Be still and know that I'm God. So it's the same deal, and he said, "I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, tore down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. They want to kill me. Do you, do you see what's happened because of this amazing movement on Mount Carmel? Instead of turning around and everybody wanting to worship you, they want to kill me, Eli, or uh, they want to kill me, God. Is that the plan?" Is that like really your plan? You did all of that so that Jezebel could do that? Why didn't you just strike her down right there at the moment? Because what does God want to do? God wants to redeem Jezebel, doesn't he? God wants to redeem Jezebel. God wants to redeem Ahab. Jesus Christ said, I came not for those that were well and without the need of a physician, but I came for the sick. He came for me. He came for me. So I alone him left, and they seek to take my life. Then the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, anoint Haziel as king over Syria. Did you know it's what God just did? I, I love this about our Lord. How many times, you know, <laughs> so I'm going to let you into the brain here for a minute. It's a scary place. I'm going to let you. I call it a spiritual tantrum. You ever have a spiritual tantrum where you know what's right, you know what you're to do, and you're like, I don't want to do it. We've done this enough. We've done this, this, you know, your way. I don't want to do it. They're mean to me. They hurt my, they, they hurt me in the, you know, the ouchie spot. I don't want to, you know. I'm done quitting. Done. God said, There is no quitting. I came to redeem you. Your blood brought. You're mine. I'm madly in love with you. I'm going to take care of you. There is no resigning. I'm not going to receive your resignation, Elijah. Your calling is irrevocable. As he's speaking to this prophet, does he not speak to that to our hearts as born again believers he says i'll never let one of you out of my hands my father won't allow it my father won't allow it the principalities the powers the all of the supernatural my father won't allow it you're my beloved and i've got the blood to prove it I've got the beatings to prove it. I've got the broken body to prove it. I've got the nail marks. You're my beloved. You're not going to walk away. You're not going to quit. No. I'm not even going to entertain it. As a matter of fact, I'm going to tell you what you're going to do next. You're going to go. You're going to go to Damascus. You're going to anoint Hazael as king over Syria. Also, you're going to anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. You're going to take Elisha, Elisha, the son of Shepat, of abel Mahola, and you shall anoint him as a prophet in your place. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword... Of Haziel, Jehu, will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. You see, when I read this passage, it's just an incredible reminder that how I spend my life and my time, there's nothing this world can offer me. There's nothing better in this world. God's got a plan. He's got a plan for my neighbors. He's got a plan for my community. He's got a plan for this church. He's got a plan for my family. He's got a plan for this city. And what can't God do with a surrendered heart? What can't God do with a surrendered heart? Uh, You've heard me say this before. I, I always go back a lot of times when I have those moments. I'm sure some of you do too. Where enough... And I always go back to you know Luke chapter 7, verse 18 in that area, you know, through 28, when I, and I always think of John the Baptist. 18 months, his whole ministry, his whole life, you know, 30 plus years, is the cousin of Jesus, about six so months older than him. In prison, in jail, he's sitting here, this is it? All that honey, all that locust. Meet. Did you see the outfit I had to wear out here? Come on. They said I was a Jesus freak. Come on now. Out in the wilderness, people are coming out, Jewish people that, that don't understand what even baptism is truly about because their father was Abraham. He says, Lord, now You begin the Galilean ministry. Now you begin. You do these things. 18 months from that point, Lord, everything, my life, everything leading up to that, 30-something years. Well, actually, it'd be 27 and a half to be specific, something years like that. And now, this is the plan? Didn't John the Baptist have a God crisis? I call it a God crisis, my term for it. Didn't he have that when he sent one of his, you know, disciples to Jesus and says, are you he? What's he really saying? Are you the guy? Because if you're the guy, then what am I doing in here? I I came to, you know, set the way. The kingdom of God is at hand. I preached it. I I told everybody, why aren't you doing what you do? You know what Jesus' response was? Because he spoke about, uh, uh, you know, he spoke about um, John the Baptist, didn't he? He says, There's not been a greater prophet in all of Israel. But if you looked at that from the outside in, that's not the plan. 18 months, end up in jail, get beheaded. That's the plan? That's the secret sauce? Like, we got this far, and that's what we're doing? I would have had Kit Kats and Flamin' Yon. What am I doing in the wilderness, right? Or, or, you know, vegetable squash or whatever you do. I want to be sensitive. I don't, want, I don't want to stumble anybody here tonight, all right? Do you get it? Do you get the wrestling match that's happening here in Elijah's heart? And doesn't that happen in our hearts here? That's what I'm trying to bring us to. Doesn't that happen to, in our hearts here? That's the application. The Holy Spirit gives us the application tonight. This happens in your heart and my heart. How do we respond? Do we think we're different than Elijah? And do you think God is different with Elijah than he is with you and I? Is he not the ancient of days? Doesn't it all make sense now? What happens? Spiritual tantrum? The God crisis? <laughs> You know, God could have just said, Elijah, look, I really don't need you. wouldn't have been wrong. God could have said, hey, Elijah, um, I don't need a micromanager. Uh, it's not your call. Elijah, you're, you're, you're a little entitled right now, thinking that you know what the next step is. A little entitlement there. It's a good lesson for us, too. Jesus Christ doesn't respond that way, nor does God. Many times we see again that trailer and somebody's life, but we talk to them like we see the whole movie. We make assumptions about them because we haven't invested in them to know them well enough. But we think in thirty seconds we can get it all. A little bit of pride there, isn't it? A little bit of entitlement there when we do that, don't isn't it? I mean, let's just call it out. It's what it is. It steered Elijah wrong. Here's a man of God, hearing from God, again, doing great miracles, meeting him in these Mount Carmel experiences, and yet he's having a spiritual tantrum, a God, you know, a God crisis right at the moment. And so do we sometimes. And, it, 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 and the point is not to lie and pretend that doesn't happen, but to recognize when it does happen and repent and get right and get back on God's program. That's the point. Get back on God's program. But that requires submission. That certainly requires humility before submission. That requires us to be under authority. And and today, that's a bad word. Because that requires absolutes, which the Bible's full of. And just so Elijah doesn't get it wrong, he does answer one of his points when he answered the why question, even though he said what. In verse 18, he comes back and he says, yeah, I've reserved 7,000 to Israel. You're not the only one, Elijah. He could have said that sooner, couldn't he? Could have, but he wanted the action sermon. He wanted Elijah to get caught up. That, that's what we see here. All those knees that have not yet bowed to bow and every mouth that has not kissed him. Boy, that's interesting. Isn't there always a remnant of God's people that no matter what's going on, no matter what the mandate is from the king, they are not willing to follow the king over the true king, Jesus Christ. And God says, I always have my remnant. You can try to snuff them out. You can try to kill them. You can't touch them because the gates of hell will never prevail against my church. Can you imagine when Elijah's here this? Oh, my. He probably said something different. Oh, boy. It's not dependent on you. You see, God shows him the big picture now, and I love that. He says it's 7,000 times more than what you think. That's just how off he was, statistically speaking. And if we're going to kind of talk about that, right? How off was he? 7,000 times off. I'm the only one. No, you're not. You're 7,000 times off that you're not the only one. God shows Elijah the plan. He lays it down hot. Verse 19, so he departed from there and found Elisha you remember Elisha would have been, because we got introduced earlier a couple of verses back, he would have been in the, in the Jordan Valley, okay? He would have been between the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee, all right? That sort of is that area when we read earlier where it says he was from. The son of Shephat that was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. You see his preparation for the ministry? Everybody get that? Write that down. Do you not plow with oxen? Because when you're in ministry, that's what you do. You put your hand on the plow and there's no looking back. For the last month, the Lord put it on my heart for us to sing a song. The cross before me, the world behind me, no looking back. Did you not see the teaching that he was giving us in Timothy and in Titus? Did you not see the connection that he was making in 1 Kings? That he was drawing this church, drawing every one of us here into that understanding, right? The cross before us, excuse me, I meant to say. The world behind us, no looking back. He's settling it. He's settling it. Some of you are like, wow, why couldn't we settle that two weeks ago? We did that like every week, twice, three, you know. But I promise you, you won't forget that. How many times did you have that when you were in the shower? Yeah, You kept singing it, didn't you? I promise you that when you find yourself in a situation. You ever go outside when it's raining when you were younger and uh, you remember that smell and that smell brings back a memory, something very fond or familiar to you? Associations, our brain uses associations. What's the association that the Holy Spirit has now put in your heart and mind? The cross before me, the world behind me, no looking back, no matter what happens with the false apostasy, the heresies, the doctrine, all the things that are going to happen in the pastoral epistles that are put before you in Titus and Timothy on Sundays as we've been reading. As we've been reading in 1 Kings, no matter what the world, the kings, the government, and all the things that are put before you, nothing changes. The cross before you, death to self, the world behind you, no looking back. That's programmed now. The Holy Spirit programmed that in you now. That song comes to mind. You're in prison. You're sitting there. There it is. There's my hope. There's my faith. There's my strength. God, you went before me. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shepat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. Obviously, this is a wealthy family. To have 12 yoke of oxen, very, very wealthy family. His only uh, preparation was the ministry school of farming. You know, the, he, he didn't go to the greatest seminary. Nothing wrong with education. But this is what qualified for this man, Jesus, the Holy Spirit. There's your qualification. Nothing wrong with education, but this man had his hand on the plow, and he's willing to leave everything for God. There's your qualification. Lord calling you into ministry? There it is. He says that the 12, uh, he goes, was plowing with the 12 oxen before him, and he was with the 12th. Then Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him, you know. Again, you know, you think of Elisha. We're going to learn about it. He's such a, Elisha's such a comforter. Like, I just love, we all love Elishas in our lives. Just, just such a comforters. You know, you just put your hand around him. You, you just love the guy, you know, love the girls for a lady in your life that way. You just love being, you know, they just build you up. They just encourage you. Elishas are awesome, aren't they? We need Elishas. But here you got Elijahs. We need Elijahs too, He's not, mints in words, he's not a man of many words. He's like, boom, mantle. That's his robe, by the way. The mantle would have been like the robe or the overcoat of the robe. That would have been, boom, puts it on him, keeps walking. Just everybody understood what that meant in those days. I mean, this cloak, it meant that you had the authority and calling of God. And when Elijah did this as a man of God, he was basically designating or delegating, saying, this is the word of the Lord. God has chosen you. He's called you know, go serve the Lord full time. This is what you're to do now. Everybody would have understood that in that culture at that time. Just like if, if I had somebody come up here and I lay hands on them, we pray over them and we anoint them and we witness the moving of the Holy Spirit upon them, Acts 13. We're acknowledging what? That they're either being you know, laid hands on as an elder or a pastor. right? We, we acknowledge, we understand that in our culture, our day, we know what that means. Because we read it in Acts 13 in the New Testament, we, we have an understanding of that. We've seen it done here. We understand that. So here it is. Uh, we keep reading that he says that he passed by him and he threw his mantle on him. You no, know, like, man, I, this is so awesome. You've been, you know, called by God. You know, I want to tell you all the things you're going to go through. No, boom. These boots have made for walking. And that's what I'm going to do. You know, he just kept going, right? He just kept going. Didn't even stop. The comforter, you know, Elisha, the comforter, wait a minute, let's talk about this. I'd like to understand these things, you know, and, you know, I love how God uses so many different kinds of people, different personalities, different, all of it, all over. It's wonderful. And he left the oxen and ran after Elisha and said, please let me kiss my father and my mother. Then I will follow you. He's a good, good Jewish boy. He wants to honor his mother and father, right? He wants to go back. And he wants to say his goodbyes. This isn't him looking back. This isn't a Matthew eight eighteen situation where we know that, you know, follow me and, and Jesus says, well, I got to go bury that, you know, dad and all that. Others. No, that's not what this is. This is a true heartfelt, I need to say and honor my mother and father. I want to I honor them. God honors that. God, God allows that. But look how Elijah responds to this. And he said to him, go back again for what have I to do with you or what have I done to you? In other words, He's basically saying, that's between you and the Lord. I'm out. That's what he's saying He's I'm out. That's between you and the Lord. You work that out. But for an Elisha, he wanted a little handholding there. He wanted a little, right? We need Elishas, but we need Elijahs. There's times in counseling, you got to be an Elijah, right to the point, boom. And there's times where you need to be an Elisha and you need to be a little bit more gentle, and we need both of those folks. Don't don't you have people like that in your life? Don't you know people that you'll go and talk to when you want it like it is, and you just want it laid down hot? You'll go to them and say, okay, what's the Bible say about this? Maybe it's even like that here with the pastors. Maybe you notice the difference in the, I don't know. I mean, I'm ignorant to it, but maybe you turn around and you go to one pastor or something like that if you want, you know, uh, certain sense of uh, personality you know something a little bit more comforting right you know the 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 elisha you know you want, you want to sit down and they talk with you and they hold your hand you know you need that you want that it's beautiful right you need and then there's times where you're like let 's get to the point, what am I doing where is this going how does this work and you want the Elisha in that moment you just lay it down hot, give it to me straight right if you or my, I, am looking at you, some of you are like, I don't know, maybe I want that, maybe I don't, I don't know, I haven't really thought about it. Pray for me. And he said to him, go back again for what I have done, or, you know, what have I have done to you? What, what's, what's between you and, your, you and your God, you and Jesus? So Elisha turned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and boiled their flesh using the oxen's equipment and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. Did you see what he did there? Elisha. He, did, he, he honors it. He does that. But what does he do? He turns around and he takes that instrument of the world, his worldly profession, the thing that he did. And just to make sure there's no temptation in the future for him to go, you know what? I'm going to go back to what I used to do. This is too rough. You know, this whole resign. You know, this is, I'm, my resignation, I'm going to go back to the world. I'm going to go back and do this. Oh, no, no, no. He burns it. He burns it so he, he can't even possibly go back and grab the plow again because the plow is gone. He turns around and gives a sacrifice to the Lord, shares it with the people, and he says, Elijah, you and me, baby, let's do this. That's what he says. Let's do this, right? It actually doesn't say it like that in there, but I'm paraphrasing. You're with me. And he rose and he followed Elijah and he became his servant. He decided to follow Jesus, and he didn't turn back. We'll stop there this evening. Next week, we'll come and we'll read about uh, Ben-Hadad, if the Lord should tarry, and he's from Syria, which we know is the same place, Syria, today, and he's going to turn around. and He's going to try to come against uh, the northern tribe of Israel, the tribes of Israel, and he's going to do this, and God's going to, I mean, Ahab, right? Up to this point, Ahab has been a wicked, evil king. The musicians can come up, by the way. Ahab's been a wicked, evil king, hasn't he? We're going to again see another aspect of God's character, that long-suffering, that desire for reconciliation, the desire to even say, Ahab, if you'll just obey, watch what I'll do. He says, I'll take your sin, and I'll, I'll part it as far as the east is from the west. I'll remember it no more. Ahab's, if he can do that for Ahab, there's not a single soul on this earth that Jesus Christ doesn't desire to save. If you all would be invited to stand with me, if you feel led and able. I encourage you to go back and devotionally read this passage again, just you and the Lord, and allow him to see into that very special and supernatural place in your heart. When you have those God crises, when you have those moments where you're questioning God's plan, his motives, his will... This is a tremendous reminder that we only see a portion. And we're better to trust in faith, the Lord. Right? We don't walk by understanding, we walk by faith. It's always been that way. Father, we thank you. This, this is truly a blessing and a privilege to be able to read your word. To not fall for the guile and snare of the kings of this world. To also learn, Lord, that you you have a perfect plan. You have a perfect purpose. And God, we fully admit to you before you hear, we confess our sin. We sometimes get very opinionated in in those matters. We allow all these things to vie for our attention. And often they can become distractions, Lord. So Jesus, we are going to put our focus, our trust, And not what we see, but what we know to be true. You are God and there is no other. You have saved us from our sin. You've redeemed us from our judgment. And you are coming again to bring us to our Father in heaven. Jesus, we don't know how soon it's going to be. It could be at the moment of this prayer ending, or God, it could be years. But Lord, we have oil in our lamps here tonight. We have your spirit. We acknowledge that. And because of that, Lord, we will not, we will not go and try to find our tree and lay it all down as though you're done with us. No matter how bad it gets, no matter what, we don't understand. Jesus Christ, you are never done with us until you bring us home. If we're still here and there's air in our lungs, you have a plan. and We just praise you for that. There are no accidents. There are no coincidences. Every human life is precious because you say so. Jesus, be glorified. We pray this in your name, almighty God. Receive our worship now, and all God's people prayed. Amen. Amen.